the book of First Peter has five chapters. And, and every single one of those chapters gets harder and harder and harder as you read through it. Today, today's sermon, you might, you know, be, be convicted. You know, I have to become more and more like Christ every day. I have to be holy like Christ is. You know, I, I have to look like, you know, the one who is perfect. How can I do that? And then, and then you come next week, and by the way, it's going to get harder next week because we're going to talk about submission next week. One of those, you know, anathema words, you know, those words that we hate to hear. But, but Peter is the one that brings out these hard uh, topics. In fact, in the very first three verses of 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, we read this uh, phrase, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. These are big words for a former fisherman. These are words that, you know, literally denominations split over. And Peter is using these words in such a way that they're supposed to be integrated within the very fabric of the church. In fact, he uses a word that only Peter ever speaks. He speaks it two times in the Bible. He uses the word here, foreknowledge, uh, one time in 1 Peter. And then he also used the same exact word at his amazing sermon that he speaks in the book of Acts. Now, this word uh, foreknowledge actually has a, uh, an amazing meaning that comes from the Greek. Have you ever been to the doctor's office and they give you a prognosis? And, and normally, when they give you a prognosis, normally you're expecting the worst, right? You get cancer, or you get a you know, disease, or you get something that's going on in your body, and you want to receive a, a prognosis from uh, the doctor. And sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's bad, right? This word foreknowledge actually comes from the Greek word prognosis. And the amazing thing about the word prognosis in the Bible, the way that Peter uses it, it's always looking for a good result, a, a good prognosis. H have you ever uh, wondered why Jesus chose 12 different men from different backgrounds to be his apostles? And, and chief among them, by the way, was a guy by the name of Peter. Can you imagine Jesus coming up to Peter and as he's fishing there, and, and, and he's, you know, doing all these, you know, failing at fishing, even though he's supposed to be a professional uh, fisherman. And Jesus coming up to him and saying, I want you to be a fisher of men. Knowing even before he chooses Peter, that it's going to be Peter that denies him three times. That, that it's going to be Peter that's going to be the one that cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. It's going to be Peter that's the one that's going to put his foot in his mouth over and over and over again. And yet Jesus 
chooses the foreknowledge of God, choosing a guy that he knows is going to fail over and over and over again to be one of the chief. Look at what it says there in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. And this is the second time we actually see this word, this word prognosis or this word foreknowledge in uh, the Bible. This is Peter, by the way, after the day of Pentecost. It's Peter, the, the one that stands up and gives this chapter-long sermon. Uh, there, there's 3,000, more than 3,000 people out in the crowd, and every single one of them hear Peter speak this sermon in their own language. Th this is Peter who had just 50 days before denied Christ. And yet now he's boldly proclaiming who Christ is. Look at what it says there in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourself also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and prognosis of God. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death. Did God know before Jesus came to this earth what the Jews would do to him? And yet he came anyway to die for them, the ones that would crucify him. And not only them, but for us as well, or the world, as we understand from John uh, 3.16. Do you understand the love of Jesus Christ behind his foreknowledge, knowing you before you even got saved? In fact, we know that that's true, right? When did Jesus die for us? When we were good? When we were already, you know, uh, you know on our way to becoming a Christian? When we were kind or when we were, you know, nice to people? No. When did Jesus Christ die for us? When we were his enemy, when we were at the worst place in our lives, that's when Jesus reaches out to us, knowing that we're going to fail, knowing uh, that we're going to backslide, knowing that we're not always going to make the right decisions, knowing that we're going to sin. But did Jesus save you anyway? And aren't you glad for that? And Peter, now as a, a more mature Christian, as a, uh, a person that has kind of gone through the persecutions, gone through uh, the trials, gone through the, the ups and downs of being a Christian, he's now an older statesman, a, a mature Christian, if you will. In fact, that's the theme now that we see in 1 Peter. It's, it's Christian maturity in an immature world. And isn't that so true? Don't you see immaturity all around us on the media? All the time. What happens if anyone gets their feelings hurt? What happens? They go on a rampage or they start to rant or, or tweet or now it's threading, right? You know, there's a whole new thing that you can do, you know, to, to express your opinions, right? And it's one of those things that as the world becomes less and less mature, yes, knowledge is increasing, 
you know, exponentially every single day, but the maturity of the world is actually decreased. And, and it, it calls for Christians now to stand up and be mature. It stands up for Christians to come and be holy or examples like Jesus Christ. And so Peter, as he's remembering not only his previous life, but also his life now, he's, he's inputting these eight chapters into the next generation of the church. Be ye holy as Jesus is holy. You see, there's uh, several points that I want to uh, bring out today. And if you're a, a note taker, the first of those uh, uh, points, if you will. Number one is that mature Christians have a different walk than the world. They don't imitate the world. They imitate Jesus. They, they strive to look like uh, Jesus. And then just right underneath that one point, there'll be three, three A, B, and C underneath number one there. Uh, mature Christians have a hopeful walk. There's a, there's a different type of walk when you are hopeful. Look at what it says there in verse uh, 3 of 1 Peter. First uh, Peter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Mature Christians have a hopeful walk. I used to work at this uh, uh, camp called Forest Home when I was in my uh, late teens. And, and, and you know, we, there was this Indian village that we used to, and everyone was supposed to, that was a leader in this Indian village was supposed to choose an Indian name, you know, uh, different, you know, names that kind of describe who they are. You weren't supposed to give your real name, you know, so the kids could be, you know, kind of uh, mystified by who you were and all that kind of stuff. And, and my name was always Hoping Caterpillar. Uh, do, you, do you know what a caterpillar is hoping to become? Butterfly, exactly. The, the contrast between a butterfly and a caterpillar. There, there's something inside that caterpillar that's waiting to come out. It, that, that caterpillar is green or striped or, you know, you know, a whole bunch of little legs and kind of, you know, creepy crawly type thing. And then, then when they, what happens when they come out of that cocoon? A beautiful butterfly. And you see them all around now. It's beautiful, right? You know, the yellows, the oranges, the, the various colors that they have. It's even more for the Christian. What is our living hope? And how did we get that living hope, by the way? It says there at the end of that verse. Someone had to die for us to be alive. And Jesus Christ rose from the dead so that I could have life, so that you could have a, a living hope. It's not, it's not something that, you know, it might happen. No, we know this hope is living. It is sure it will happen. You see, mature Christians have a hopeful walk. Verse 4, we get our next point, point B there. It says mature Christians have a heavenly walk. 
There's something that we're looking forward to. Verse 4, it says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Very personal, by the way. And again, remember, this is Peter talking, the one who denied Jesus Christ three times. As he sat by that campfire, as first the soldier asks him the question, I, I think I've seen you with, you know, Jesus Christ. Or that little girl, that servant girl, by the way, that asked Peter. And, and after she asked him, he, he went on this tirade of, of cursing and, and mocking and denying that he ever knew Jesus Christ, as Jesus Christ was being scourged, as Jesus Christ was being mocked, Jesus Christ was being whipped, and that crown of thorns put on his head. And yet, Jesus over and over and over again brought him back. The next point there, number C, in verse 5, who are kept by the power of God. You know, there's only one way that we can truly have power in our lives. And it's through the Holy Spirit that inhabits us. In fact, that, that's exactly what happened with Peter. And in fact, those verses that we just read in Acts, how was he able to even speak publicly? This fisherman who didn't have any education, he, he wasn't like the Pharisees or the Sadducees who had all this you know, education that was able to somehow speak uh, publicly. And now he's speaking before thousands and thousands of people. What's the difference? The Holy Spirit came with power on his life. It's the Holy Spirit that re reveals to us uh, the Word of God. Have you ever read the Word of God? And, and maybe it's a, you know, you're going through a one-year study of the Bible or a chronological study of the Bible or just reading a, a certain portion of the Scriptures and, and you don't quite understand it. Do you know that all you have to do is ask? Ask God that He would give you wisdom and He guarantees that He will. He may not understand the whole thing perfectly, but, but he'll reveal that portion that he wants you to apply to your life that day. And, and I guarantee the next year when you go through that same section or, or another time that you read that, that same section and you ask for wisdom and, and, and you know, you've, you've grown or you, you've gone to a different part of your life and, and, and you read that same section, it comes to life. The amazing way that the Holy Spirit reveals the Word of God uh, to us. In verse 6, we get our, our second point there. Uh, number 2, it says, Mature Christians have a joy in the midst of the trials. This is the second theme that Peter has. In, in both of his books, by the way. It, it, it talks a lot about suffering and trials. In fact, this is the walk that Peter is on knowing what's going to happen to him in just a couple of very, very short years. Going to be martyred for Jesus Christ. In fact, in, in four weeks at the, the very last uh, section of the book of Peter, we're going to be talking about this in depth. What happened to Peter at the very end of his life? After writing these two books, these short eight uh, chapters, 
But there's joy in the midst of the trials in a mature Christian's life. Look at what it says there in verses 6 through uh, 9. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Can I get an amen on that? We all go through trials in life. Sometimes they're consequences for the sins that we do. And sometimes they're trials that come by just being a, a believer in Christ. You see, Peter understood trials. In fact, uh, you know, Isaac mentioned one of those trials, being imprisoned. And at midnight, what were they doing? Praising God, right? The, the, the example of joy in the midst of the trials, it continues on there in verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your... You see what it's talking about there? there there's a genuineness to faith when I actually have joy in the midst of the trials. I don't act like the immature world. I don't, I don't act like those that, you know, have no hope. Because if all I have in this world, I'm looking for good things to happen to me. I, I'm looking for things that, that go my way, and then I'm happy. But when it goes against me, what's my outlook on life? That's an immature person. That, that's a, a baby. That's how a, a young child reacts, right? But a mature person, a mature Christian, how should they react? In the midst of the trials, there's joy because I know God is working on my life. I know that Christ is bringing out something in my life. He's refining me. He's taking out the impurities. And he's making me a reflection of him. And it's beautiful, by the way. The next thing there, the next point, if you will, is mature Christians love the Word of God. And they love to tell others about it. Look what it says there in verse 10. Verses 10 through 12. It says, of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Uh, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us. Uh, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. The, the, the previous paragraph and this paragraph 
reference the next generation of Christian believers. You see, Peter being on the last legs of his life, many of the other uh, apostles being even martyred for their faith. He and John, who's going to write the book of Revelation, the book of John, the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, are leaving now this legacy, this, this uh, instructions to the next generation. These people that actually saw Jesus with their own eyes and now telling the next generation of Christians 2,000 later, even to us as we're reading 1 Peter, those of us that have not seen Jesus with our own eyes and telling us, keep up the good fight. Have that living hope. Have that, as we see here, this inexpressible joy full of glory, this desire to see salvation be given to the next generation, things that angels long to look into. Can you imagine that in heaven, by the way? Uh, we know, we know what happens when a, a single person gets, you know, saved. What happens in heaven? The angels rejoice. There's a party in heaven over one lost sinner, right? But do you understand that, you know, as it says here, these things that angels long to look into. A angels are created beings. Angels are, you know, yes, majestic, and, and they get to be in the very presence of a holy and righteous God, and they, they praise God, and they, they, they shout these amazing phrases like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who, who was and is and is to come. The, these amazing things as messengers that they get to, you know, protect us and go into the world. But do you understand that they have never sinned, don't understand what it means to be lost and then found, lost and then be saved? And yes, even though they are majestic, heavenly beings, they don't understand what grace truly is. You and I do. And angels, they, they long to see this. They, they long uh, to look into this. You see, a mature Christian loves the Word of God. Thank God that we have so many, you know, as, as Pastor Mike Atkinson, you know, announced earlier, you know, so many different things going on during the week. Why? Because we need it, right? You know, some of you go to a lot of them, and I, I, I love seeing you, whether it's Monday night or, or Wednesday night or, or Sundays. You know, normally, you know, my wife and I, we normally go to the first service, and, and then we come on, you know, Monday nights and then Wednesday nights. And then, of course, we have, you know, the, the Friday night service that, that many of you, you know, come to. And, and then I get to be for second service this Sunday, you know, which is you get to see different people, you know. And then at the end of the month, you have the, the one service Sunday where we actually all gather together, right? And you get to see people. Oh, you actually go to this church? Wow, it's amazing. Yeah, cool. But, but that's the privilege of having so many different things throughout the week. Why? Because you want to grow in your love for the Word of God because this church teaches the word of God. And thank God for that. Thank God for that. Number four, verse 13 there, mature Christians long to look like Christ, not the world. 
Mature Christians long to look like Christ. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, not like you used to be before you met Christ. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. That theme verse that we read at the very beginning. You see, what did we look like before we became Christians? We may not have thought of ourselves this way, but we were ignorant. And, and, you know, especially those of you with gray hair, you know, older people, you know, more mature people, you look back on your life, and why did I make those stupid decisions? Why, why would I choose those things, looking back at your life now? Because you understand the consequences. And maybe for some of you, they're still affecting you, even as a, as a Christian. But thank God, even though we have to suffer many times the, the temporary consequences of sin, we will never have to experience the eternal consequence. Why? Because you have something better now. You're a Christian. You have Jesus Christ living in your life. This phrase, uh, be holy for I am holy, is one of those um, you know, it's translated in such a way where the English is kind of hard to understand because we don't have some of the, the verb tenses that the Greek has. The Greek actually uses two different uh, verb tenses in this phrase. The, the, the second verb tense, the one that's for God, is, is holy. This term, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty that Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 6 and also Revelation uh, says in Revelation chapter 4. We see these amazing, God is holy. He has always been holy. He is holy now and he always will be holy. He is the definition of what holy is. But we're a work in progress. And the verb tense for the first word, holy is this ing that we kind of have in our our language it's it's becoming more and more holy it, it, it's kind of like you know uh, a, a person that's growing you know you're 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 mature and and someone that's growing is maturing right that they're growing uh, a person that's full grown has come to their full size, if you will, or their full development, where a person that's growing, a child or a teenager, they're still growing. They're in the process of becoming mature. And it's the same thing with this phrase here, this word holy. It's called sanctification. We understand that when we're saved, we're justified, uh, just as if I never sinned. That's instantaneous. Boom, I'm saved, right? And then there's glorification, which happens after we die. Immediately, we're, we're glorified. We get to go to heaven, 
as soon as we leave this mortal coil, as soon as we leave this earthly body, we are in heaven if we know Jesus Christ personally. But in between justification and glorification, there's this process called sanctification. But by, by the way, who justifies you? You know this. I know you know this. Who justifies you? Jesus Christ. Who glorifies you? Jesus Christ. Who sanctifies you? The same one. And unfortunately, we trip ourselves, you know, we, 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 we uh, you know, trap ourselves. We, we injure ourselves. We, we purposely think that, oh, I have to do it on my own. I have to pull myself up by my own bootstrap. It's Jesus Christ that sanctifies us. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us that power as we walk. You see, a maturing Christian longs to look like Christ. I can't become holy on my own, just like I couldn't save myself on my own. There's only one who can make me holy. And the more time I spend with Jesus Christ, the more time you spend with Jesus Christ, what's going to happen naturally to your life? You're going to look like him, right? It's just like, you know, our friends, if you will. In Leviticus chapter 20, in fact, this is where this phrase is quoted from, this, you know, book in the Old Testament called Leviticus, which, you know, if you've ever been through a, a one-year study of the Bible, you get through Genesis, you get through Exodus, and then you get to Leviticus, and then you stop, right? Because it's, you know, it's hard. Leviticus chapter 20, verses 6 through 7, it says, And the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his uh, people. If I want to look like the world, what's going to happen? There, there's consequences, right? But, verse 7, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy. For I am the Lord your God. The one I worship, the one I want to hang around, the one I want to have a relationship with, what should I look like? Them. It's the privilege of having the Holy Spirit in our lives, an intercessor, Jesus Christ, my best friend, and coming before God the Father and knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that he accepts not because of who I am, but because of who lives in me, Jesus Christ. In number five, verse 17 there, it says, mature Christians appreciate the cost of salvation. You appreciate the cost of yourself. Thank God it's by grace. Thank God 100% mercy and grace. I didn't earn it myself. But there was a cost to salvation. Look at what it says there in verse 17. And by the way, Peter, uh, he ran. There was only one of the apostles there at the foot of the cross. There was a whole bunch of women there, but there was only one apostle. We'll talk about that next week. But Peter ran during this time. But he understood the cost of salvation. Look at what it says there in verse 17 of chapter 1. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time, of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. You didn't have to tithe your way to heaven. You don't have to tithe your way to heaven. Okay, that may be a new revolution, revelation to you, 
okay? But you don't have to tithe your way to heaven. You don't have to buy your way into heaven. Because most of us wouldn't be able to afford it, right? All of us wouldn't be able to afford it. There, there's no way that we can give some sort of, you know, penance in order to gain heaven. Look at what it says there. Through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, verse 23. I love how it says this. It's the word of God that lives, and I skipped ahead, by the way. Excuse me, verse 21. Who through him who believed in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in uh, God. I'll get that right, second service. You just come back, second service, and you know. But, th but there's a verse before that, verse 19. Look at what it says about the precious blood of Jesus Christ. How precious is the cost? How precious is the cost? But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without Who's the one that's going to be seated in the very throne of heaven itself? The only wounds in heaven that we'll see. It's the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. This is the cost of our salvation. It continues there in verse 20. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in a God. How do I gain salvation? There's only one way. It's through the lamb that was slain for my sins and yours. It's the one who died. For us, you, you've heard this before, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved, through faith and that not of yourself. What would happen if I, I somehow had the, you know, aptitude or the ability to, to work my way to heaven? What, what could I say when I got there? I did it myself. None of us can say that. Why? Because it's 100% by grace through faith. In fact, that's what it continues to say there in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. All of us are in the same exact category. We all need grace. 100% by grace. And then point number six there, mature Christians hide the word in their heart, so they will not be corrupted like uh, the world. I, I, want, I want to look different than the world does. And this too, we see, unfortunately, all around us, the, the world is becoming more and more corrupt. The, the world is becoming more and more uh, sinful. The, the world is becoming more and more uh, depraved. It's like this snowball effect. Everybody's trying to outsin one another. Look at what it says there in verse 22. And since you have purified your souls 
in obeying the truth of the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. There's a different standard for a Christian. It's maturity in Christ. It's looking like Christ. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 53, one of those big long chapters in the Bible, it uses the same word corruption. And by the way, this word corruption is actually the word perishing. It's, it's becoming uh, you know, corrupt or diseased or falling apart, perishing. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in, you see, a, a Christian understands what it means to walk in uh, victory. Wow. Don't you love that? No, no longer with, you know, the guilt. No, no longer with the, you know, the baggage that we used to have. Knowing that there's freedom in Christ to walk victoriously. And again, how do I do this? Is it in my own strength? No. Thank God for that. Continues on there in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24. The very last paragraph here. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of God, a man is as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower fails away, but the word of the Lord endures for Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. You see, there's a, a standard of walking in the word of God that goes on and on and on and on. What, what, what is it like to walk next to the one? What, what is it like to walk next to the one who is your best friend and knows your very thoughts before you even think them and yet still loves you that way? The, 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 the person that you can go and, and confide into Jesus Christ himself and know that he'll accept you no matter what. And wants you to look more and more like him. You see, there's a difference between a, a Christian that's maturing and the immature world. There's three more verses that I want you to look at, okay? It, it starts there. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And there's now going to be a contrast. The, the Christian is supposed to be maturing in uh, Christ. There's a standard for holiness. But the contrast is still there. And when you step out of this building, when you go to your work, when you hang out maybe with your family or your friends or whatever, you're going to see ex these exact same things. That Peter himself lists here. And by the way, Peter understood these very, very clearly because he acted like this before he knew Christ. Do you understand that 
Fishermen have not changed in thousands and thousands of years. How do we, you know, describe certain people that have a, a mouth that spews forth, you know, profanity? Many times it's compared to what? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Dominic. Drunken sailor or a fisherman, right? Why? You know, because they, they, they have a way of saying those things. Peter was no different. Look at what it says there in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, laying aside all malice. By the way, this is a personal confession of Peter himself. All malice. He hated the government, by the way. He hated the Romans. He, he, he despised, you know, those that were, you know, in power. We'll, we'll learn more about that uh, next week. All deceit, right? All those lies and and Peter, you know, he was one of those people that said, I'll stand up 100% for you, Jesus. There's no one that's going to make me deny you. What did he do? Just a couple of weeks later, by the way. Deny. He, he, he was the one that, you know, Jesus had to say, if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. After he had you know, taking that sword to the Mount of Olives and cut off the priest's servant's ear. Or hypocrisy. Of course, Peter, you know, and it's, 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 it's easy to look at Peter's life, by the way, because we see his, his life described in the scriptures and, and see the, you know, the defects in his life until I put up the mirror of scripture and see it in my own as well. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may, and there's that word, grow or mature again. Am I supposed to stay a baby? You would never want, even though they're cute, yes, you would never want one of your kids or your grandkids to stay a baby for the rest of their life. Because then what would happen? Would they ever grow? Oh, they, they, they're cute at that stage, but would they ever mature? Do all living things have to grow and mature? And it's the same true for Christians as well. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Three last points here. Mature Christians act differently than the world. Mature Christians act differently than the world. They desire to grow and look more and more like Jesus rather than the world. Number two, they, they fervently love uh, their Christian family. I've seen churches split. It's horrible. I remember this one time, it was a business meeting, and you know, I was only like 10 or something like that, in Alpha Loma, and this, this little Baptist church, and I remember my parents coming in, and they were just crying, because there was this fight over something that, you know, no one even remembers nowadays, where, where, where Christian brothers and sisters fight in the church. It's horrible, right? Mature Christians uh, want the best for their brothers and sisters. 
They're longing to help the church grow. They're, they're using their gifts and their abilities to edify the church, to build up the church rather than to tear it down. And number three, mature Christians live in victory. Mature Christians live in victory. Are you growing in the Lord? Or are you stagnant? Are you growing and looking more and more like Jesus every day? Or are you staying the same, complacent in your spiritual walk? It's so easy to do. And the challenge as we go through 1 Peter is that we would grow as a church, that we would grow as Christians, that we would actually apply these things. That you wouldn't just come through the door and, and you know, gain an academic knowledge and you know, maybe oh, a couple points that I wrote down. But, but actually applying these things to your life. As, as Peter is purposely writing this to the next generation of Christians. Psalms 119.103, we'll end it with this, and I'll invite the uh, worship team to come forward. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey my mouth are you longing to grow close to are you longing to know the lord better this is the privilege that we have so father uh, this morning i thank you for these my friends and my family i thank you so much for their love for you i ask that you would help us to mature as christians that that we wouldn't stay stagnant that we would have a desire, as Peter did, and as the other, you know, uh, New Testament uh, believers, to grow closer to you. And, and I know I can't do it myself. None of us can do it ourselves. It's only through your grace, through your power, through your strength, that we can grow closer to you. So, Lord, I, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these, my, my friends and my family. I ask that you would help us as we, we read through, as we study this book, maybe even uh, this week, that we would uh, read your word and then uh, understand that we can apply it to our lives and then to tell those around us, Lord. That we would desire to be holy as you are holy, that we would walk closer to you. And then today, as we, we leave this building, I ask that you would help us to share that with other people. Lord, I thank you so much for all the behind-the-scenes people, those that are going to be teaching our, our Sunday school kids, even right now, as Vanessa and Shane and the Sunday school teachers that go over there and, and they, they, they serve our kids. I ask that you just bless them, Lord. You would give them wisdom as they train up the next generation, Lord. Our, our junior hires and our high school uh, uh, students, Lord, I ask that you bless them and help them to see that they too can be just as mature, even, even at their age, that, that no matter what, they can walk closer to you. And Lord, I thank you so much for this worship band that is, is leading us in worship, the preparation and the, the behind-the-scenes training and the desire to to bring us before the very throne room of a holy and righteous God. As we praise you right now, I, I ask that you would help that, that praise from our hearts and our, our voices and our, our minds would be that sweet-smelling sweet aroma before the very throne room of God. 
that as we, we depart today, that that aroma would, would rest upon us and we would have that same desire to praise you as we leave today. So Lord, I ask you, bless these, my friends and my family. Use us for your glory. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today.